Welcome to the New Books Network. We can best, as I mentioned before, model by doing. So I think a teacher that is caring and attentive to their students, that um, addresses uh, or redirects students in a loving way so that they, they learn and grow, that manages you know, a conflict on the playground, or in a literature unit, we have the ability at a Catholic school to address the moral underpinnings of a situation or a historical event. So I think that the, the spirit of Catholic education and a, and a Catholic understanding of the world can infuse uh, all activities and experiences in a school. My definition of evangelization is literally living who we are and modeling that for others in, in a variety of ways. How do you run a successful and beloved Catholic school in a secular, progressive town like Berkeley, California? Joseph Nagel and Heather Skinner can tell us on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Wodinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who have thought a lot about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format and relationship and dialogue may help us approach the truth and have a really good time doing it. If you want to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. With that, let's welcome our guests, and today we have two. Joseph Nagel is principal, and Heather Skinner is vice principal of the School of the Madeline here in Berkeley, California. Joseph and I are both alumni of the school and former students of Mrs. Skinner's in the 1980s and early 1990s. I think Mrs. Skinner was also our catechist for the Sacrament of First Communion in 1985, and I'm delighted and honored to report that my two youngest children are now, in 2022, also her students as they prepare for the sacrament. Uh, She is a former teacher, the current vice principal, the director of religious education for the school and the parish, and in her words, she has been the mission cheerleader for 45 years and is a proud, almost good Catholic. Joseph Nagel is the current principal of the Madeline. He is a parent to two of its students. He's formerly a teacher, uh, a student himself. He's an aficionado of good cooking and bad dad jokes. (laughs) And again, in his words, an ongoing and ongrowing, almost, almost good Catholic. So, welcome, dear friends. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. May I start off by asking you to tell us a bit about your life and your journey? Maybe Heather first, and then Joseph? Sure. Chris, um, I am a longtime student of Catholic education as well, going back to the early 60s in San Diego. I was a part of a Catholic school from third grade on, And um, my parents were, or I should say I was privileged to be able to go through elementary school, high school, and even college getting a Catholic education. And so from that, I knew that my dream was to also become a Catholic educator. And so I accomplished that after college and was fortunate enough, enough to come to Berkeley after my graduation from the University of San Diego. And I tell the story of how my first husband was a graduate student at the Graduate Theological Union. And one day he was coming back from class and walking down the hill and a Dominican sister pulled over and asked him if he needed a ride. And that Dominican sister was my first principal at the Madeline. And the rest is history. (laughs) 
I am likewise a product of Catholic education. Uh, as you mentioned, Chris, directly under Mrs. Skinner for part of that, I attended the School of the Madeline here in Berkeley, along with my siblings from kindergarten through eighth grade. And I continued um, at St. Mary's College High School down also in Berkeley, down the street. And not wanting to venture far for college, I, I went to UC Berkeley, which was my first experience in public education. And a formative experience for me during college was a study abroad year that I spent in Brazil. And um, as a part of that experience, I am married to a wonderful Brazilian woman who's also a teacher actually here at the school and uh, a lifelong passion for Brazilian culture and the Portuguese language. And returning um, after I finished college, I was figuring out where to go next and kind of fell into teaching, not necessarily with uh, a long-term vision or goal, but um, really just engaging with it in the moment. And it really struck me as a wonderful way to give back uh, from the very beginning. And my experience has been in teaching in Catholic school. I also taught at Holy Names High School. We taught uh, internationally at international schools in South America and Venezuela and Brazil. And after having uh, two young boys be born abroad, we wanted to be closer to home and are very proud to have our two sons. One has graduated from the Madeline and one is in seventh grade. And both also were prepared for the sacraments by our own Mrs. Skinner. And uh, this is my fourth year as principal. And I really enjoy engaging with not only the children, uh, but with the families and being a day-to-day -day person that can help uh, each student and each each family, each each community member, um, hopefully make each day a little better than the last. Yeah, and I, I should add that uh, for me, I, I continued on to public schools after the Madeline and I went to Berkeley High and UC Berkeley. And um, and I teach at a public school today. And I, I often feel like back in, in the Catholic school, we sort of have more freedom mm -hmm. to teach the whole child. I very much remember Mrs. Skinner playing the... Uh, guitar in our classroom and I clearly remember one of my first school memories is being out in the middle of the night in Tilden Park to see Haley's Comet in 1986 in February and drinking hot cocoa also with Mrs. Skinner so uh, well I hope we are there for the next time the Hamet, <laughs> Comet passes but maybe not <laughs> it was just a little smudge but it was wonderful it was the the whole experience. It looked like a Q-tip in the sky, but yeah. we just loved the experience from the chili weather to the donuts. Yeah. I remember it looked like a teeny tiny badminton <laughs> feather thingy, you know? Um, so how has Catholic education changed in your lifetime, Heather? I would say that when I began in 1907 and 1977, and even going back to my own Catholic education, we were still very much a school that was a part of the neighborhood and very closely connected to the church. Um, we, we had our scouting, we had our sports, we had every extracurricular activity in addition to our academic life, very closely connected and a close-knit group of parents precisely because they lived together in neighborhoods. Now we have, I will say, the blessing and the gift of also having many families that come to us from afar and are not as connected 
in terms of their neighborhood reach um, or their neighborhood outreach and connection. Um, but find other ways of discovering and sustaining community and letting community flourish. So that's a, that's a rather big difference, but in a sense, the grace of it is that we can still have that deep feeling of community. Yeah. Um, and let me ask you both, what is the purpose of Catholic education and what seeds are you planting? How do you plant them? And I'll give you this quotation, which um, I've seen it attributed to Pope Pius VI, and I've also seen it attributed to a bishop from Venezuela, which is the Catholic Church doesn't have a mission because the Catholic Church is a mission. Does that also apply to Catholic education? How do you feel about it? How do you make it happen? It's a great question, Chris. You know, um, I reflect sometimes, too, on on how maybe the Madeline has changed, and maybe... um, Similar to Mrs. Skinner's comment that uh, we draw from a wider range of people in a, in a broader spectrum geographically and in their experiences. Um, but on the other hand, there's always been kind of an openness and um, a variety of experience uh, in Berkeley. So maybe this particular experience is different than other schools. But one thing I, I am aware of is uh, the spirit and the charism and uh, the care and love that is present um, in Catholic schools is continuous. And sometimes we have to be a little more strategic or deliberate maybe to create a sense of community, maybe things that happened automatically or naturally uh, we need to set the stage for. So we will invest a little bit more in terms of our festivals or our parent socials uh, to make sure that we jumpstart that sense of community uh, and what's happening. And to address the question of what's the purpose of Catholic education, I I think uh, you can't go too far down that road before you start falling into questions of what's the purpose of us being here? What is the purpose you know, of life, of being human beings? Because I don't like to think of, and this is why I, I believe in Catholic education, I don't like to think of it as a distinct experience from the experience of being a family or growing or being part of the church. Uh, I think... Catholic education, elementary Catholic education, especially, is a formative part of our lives. And um, the point of our formative part of our lives is to grow into good, moral, giving, caring, generous people. So I would say that that is the purpose for me of Catholic education is forming individuals, many of whom are Catholic, even families that aren't Catholic. I would still have that same partnership that we want the children to grow. It's, it's not just an academic experience, but it is a moral and ethical and social uh, formation that we want this, the, the children to undertake. Do you have lots of kids who are not Catholic or even not Christian? Yeah, we do. Um, a quarter to a third of the families are not Catholic. Um, a lot of families have one parent who is Catholic and another parent who is of another faith. And we celebrate those cultures and welcome them. We will have students. Uh, Mrs. Skinner is especially talented in uh, integrating uh, families who have other faiths and sharing their faith and their prayers. Really, that and especially at our in our community, which is pretty varied, we really start from square one. Is we are a Catholic school. We offer a Catholic education. All the students learn about the Catholic faith and in an environment that's that's faith based. And families are making that commitment to partner with us. And a lot of times it's a journey. We have families that maybe haven't been to church as much as they were before. Now that they're, you know, raising a young person, they, they see the need or feel the draw to community. And so we want 
the school to be a, a welcoming place for people to, to reconnect or to connect for the first time. Um, Joseph used the word charism, and that makes me think of our founding community, the Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose, who taught us, all, all three of us, that the mission of the church and of Catholic schools is intertwined purely from the gospel teachings, and that if we use that as our guideline and we use the Catholic social teachings and other beautiful documents of the church as our guideline, we cannot fail. And of course, going back to that word that I often start when I when I do wordle, I often start with this word, and that word is grace. <laughs> if you start with grace and you start with the spirit of God, then you can't go wrong. Yeah. And okay, so I last month I talked to a friend of mine who teaches theology at a high school in Louisiana. How do you teach uh, the younger kids who are just uh, approaching uh, adolescence and maybe might not be as rebellious and skeptical as high school kids? What's the correct pedagogical approach for the younger ones? I think that depends very heavily on the teacher. Each teacher goes deep within themselves, especially when it comes to teaching religion and teaching the, um, in these areas that are sensitive in our church. And each teacher teaches from the heart, prepares very well. In elementary school, we don't have as much of the discussion arising from sensitive issues within the church as they do in the high schools, but it does happen. And again, each teacher is prepared for that, and each teacher teaches from the heart while being faithful to the teachings of the church. And again, we go back to our our primary source, which is the Gospels of Jesus and the documents of the church for that teaching. Mm -hmm. This is something I think about a lot too, especially for middle school where I, I spent my time as a teacher in middle school and high school. And it's a very natural process as students uh, progress into middle school and transition maybe from a more concrete understanding of the stories in the Bible and their faith uh, to, to a broader perspective. And I think it's very natural that students, as they transition, sometimes they'll, they'll get stuck on one or two issues. And I think it's good for them to have a safe space. And in our, all of our classes, and especially in religion class, we want them to have space to be able to ask questions. If they aren't allowed to wrestle with the big ideas and come to understandings on their own, they'll never really own their own faith. So um, a lot of times in, in a religion class, those because there's a safe space in the classroom, the students can ask those questions and, and take varying views, and those views can evolve and transition. Uh, and the goal for the teacher, you know, often is to make sure that the students understand the teachings of the church, understand the motivation between the teachings, the impact of those teachings, and allow the students to, to have space to question and to, to grow um, as, they, as they progress in their own faith journeys. So let's talk about uh, uh, enrollment. In the United States, when Heather was a little girl, there were 5.5 or 5.6 million uh, kids in Catholic education and 13,000 
schools. And today there's 1.6 million kids enrolled in 5,900 schools. What's going on? Is our American culture more secular? Why are fewer kids going to Catholic schools? Or maybe have public schools become that much better? I look at our Oakland diocese and, you know, some of this is can be traced pretty clearly to demographics when you had a parish, you know, with four or five masses and there were a lot of children and father said everyone should be over there at the school. I look at our enrollment is strong at the Madeline, but it was up. You look at some of the numbers in the 50s and I think there was almost 500 kids or 400 kids. So you have, you know, 40 or 50 kids in a classroom. Uh, So a lot of those changes, people move and, um, you know, maybe the attendance in a lot of parishes isn't as strong as it was. I, I see it, you know, as an opportunity to, as I've mentioned before, to draw people back to the church. Sometimes entering the school is the, the first step back for families to engage with the church in a long time, or it's often, or maybe their, their first um, step in considering how they engage. And we're lucky that we have a wonderful pastor, Father Nick, who is always engaging with families and willing to meet them uh, where they're at. But it is an interesting question, you know, countrywide, that, 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 that big shift in numbers um, and one that deserves a lot of careful thought and consideration. I think, too, Chris, that a certain, certain amount of it is economic. I remember my father um, asking me why I was asking him for help with homework when he sp- spent $20 per month on tuition, and that was for my brother and myself. And that's a scaling issue. <laughs> Indeed, that's a scaling issue. But I think that the cost of Catholic education and the cost of education in general, when you look at the, the cost of teaching the whole child, is is, is very expensive now. And so... Um, each school, each board, each parish is looking at creative ways of funding our education. Um, in, in addition, you know, the over and above cost, you have your tuition and then you have your over and above cost. And that's where we're looking at ways to provide fina- financial support so that every family that wants to can be a part of our school and to um, have our MAD annual fund, for example, which is um, specific to the Madeline, that helps us meet some of those economic goals. When I was uh, a kid, I, I think the teachers at the Madeline were about half lay people and half nuns, I think. I'm guessing. And I'm guessing when you were in elementary school, Heather, it was probably more nuns. Yeah. You can correct me, please. And am I right today? It's probably very few nuns. So is the, I'm sure since lay people have expenses that nuns do not, maybe that's a part of the, part of the cost. And is there a crisis of vocations? My second question. That is such a tough question. <laughs> You're correct in your assessment that um, we are very fortunate to have a Dominican sister on staff. Sister Jennifer is one of our kindergarten teachers, but there are fewer and fewer um, sisters available to teach. And one thing that that we are lucky to uh, have in part of our partnership with the Dominican Sisters of Mission San Jose is how thoughtful and deliberate they are in how to connect the lay leadership of some of their schools with um, their charism, with their traditions. So we um, are a Dominican affiliate school and we partner with the Dominican sisters and other 
Catholic schools in our diocese and in other parts of California and even in Mexico in conferences and retreats so that we have a full experience and understanding of uh, the Dominican tradition and we are able to continue that charism. Um, so w- I appreciate the, th- the forward thinking um, of the sisters and it definitely is something that we are more deliberate about including um, the Dominican pillars when we talk about our, the goals for our students and the imagery um, of the Dominican order so that that tradition continues. Do we, do we have any way to know if graduates from the Madeline pursue vocations later on? Do we, don't, do we track? Do you track what, you know, do you stay we in do touch? We do stay in touch with alumni. We, we see where they're headed for college. Um, we haven't heard recently of someone entering uh, as a vocation. And I have not heard either, Chris. One of the um, wonderful, there there are many um, challenges to social media, but one of the blessings of social media is that we have reconnected with many of our former students and former teachers, for that matter, former parents. And that has been a real blessing. Um, but, but again, we have not heard specifically about vocations that have come from students. Um, okay, so uh, following up uh, about is the American culture more secular, I was recently at the school where you taught before, Joseph, at uh, Holy Names in Oakland. And it was a Saturday, and so we were just using the space, and there were no uh, teachers from the school there. But there was a priest who was talking to us about the catechism and related materials. And he took a look around this Catholic classroom where we were, and he saw a rainbow flag display made of Legos that encouraged uh, diversity and sexual identity, which for me as a teacher in a public school, I'm sitting here. Um, in my classroom, I have the, the pride flag on one side, but on the other side, I have the Virgen de Guadalupe poster. Like I, I have all kinds of things in my classroom. doesn't bother me at all. And I, I thought it was the most natural thing in the world to see this in a Catholic classroom. But this priest who was a little more conservative, did not like that. And he did not like to see that symbol in a Catholic classroom because it goes against um, some of the teachings as he understood them. And he was quick to tell us so. So do you have rules for your staff about about politics in the classroom or some of the more pro- progressive uh, uh, trends in, you know, we're in Northern California, we're in Berkeley, California. Is this a tricky balancing act for you or do you have just, uh, you know, like, hey, your job is to love God and love your neighbor and the rest is... Uh, well, I will be the first to say we are very comfortable having Legos in the classroom, Chris. That is not a problem. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, one one thing yeah. that this question or these types of questions often come up when families come to visit the school and their families maybe with uh, two moms or two dads or they have, you know, all different types of, of, of people in their family. And um, the the way I like to look at it is for our first job is to care for and love for the children um, that are brought to us. Uh, everything else comes secondary to that. I also think that there are so many different questions to address in the world that it's important to prioritize. And so as a Catholic elementary school, our first priority is the safety and well-being of our children. And I think that comes with a lot of grace and understanding and patience. Um, and, you know, being a parish in Berkeley, I think it's important. It's a big church and each um parish reflects a sense that the community that they're in. And uh, I'm proud that our parish is very welcoming um, and loving and accepting of many different families. 
And Chris, we definitely lean into the Francis effect. We um, we are very um, dedicated to following um, every possible communication from Pope Francis and his guidance with regard to these sensitive issues. And um, as he does himself, we follow the gospel teachings on that as well. Um, Joseph mentioned earlier, good old WWJD, what would Jesus do in such circumstances? And we, we know the answer he would embrace. Yeah, and probably invite you for a nice long hike followed by a, a good meal. Wonderful. Would you say a bit more about the Francis the Francis effect? Because as soon as you thought that, I thought you were talking about the Saint Francis of Assisi, which is to go out and being, you know, engaged versus opposed what some people call the Benedict option, which is to withdraw. But you're talking about the Pope who named himself yes. for Saint Francis. Would yes. you say more about that? Um, what I mean by that is we're we're very conscious and we're very scrupulous about following his communications on social media in particular, but every kind of communication. We um, are especially um, connected to his teachings in his encyclical Laudato Si, and that has certainly been a guiding document in terms of the way we approach care for the earth, care for creation. And we also see it as encompassing social justice issues and the these issues that we were just talking about, these societal issues of of um, celebrating the diversity of our children and our families. It's all connected. And um, I, I think the world of Pope Francis, and I appreciate his guidance and the way he is able to connect these issues um, coming from, flowing from the gospel teachings. And we all, the other document I would say is the uh, Catholic social teachings that are um, a, certainly an iconic guiding document for us as well. I think an, another way important component of this too is you know one of the things that I always connect with our Catholic faith about is the emphasis on how we put our faith into action or how we what we actually do and how our we impact the world around us. And I think, uh, Chris, you would agree, Mrs. Skinner is a perfect example of this by modeling kindness, by being a welcoming, uh, loving figure, you can have a, a really lasting impact. And so being in a K to eight environment, our first priority is to engage with each student as uh, who they are. So a lot of these questions that are, uh, you know, have, longer discussions attached to them or people maybe have a stronger purpose or or a a stronger view aren't necessarily um, our priority in in our school environment. There might be a place or a time for those types of discussions or debates, but um, I don't think it's a priority in in the first or second grade classroom. Our first priority is that the children in our care uh, feel welcomed and cared for. Yeah, I, I 
That's very well, very well said. I, I, and I, I often find that people say like, well, it says this over here. How can you have that? And I'd like to tell people we're a church of 1.3 billion people. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of variety in opinion and, <laughs> and traditions and social mores and, and so on. And yet here we are in one big tent. Um, uh, one thing I enjoy very much about um, the St. Mary Madeline Parish is participating in the, the synod because we have a very a time when our Pope would like to listen to what his very big and diverse flock has to say. And uh, Heather and I were in the same meeting, I think it was last Wednesday or the Wednesday before that. What do you feel as uh, educators that you would like um, the Vatican to know now that they're very interested in, in hearing what everybody has to say, knowing that what you have to say in Berkeley is different what someone says in Brazil or in the south of France or in um, the Philippines? Chris, it was great to see you as part of that listening session. And like I mentioned to you, it was interesting on that. It, it was last Wednesday. And at the exact same time as our meeting, we were just, um, we many of us on our screens were pop-ups of what was happening in real time in, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely had an effect on our uh, breakaway discussion at the listening session, and we we cer- certainly leaned into um, an emphasis on social justice and what our um, correct Catholic response to this um, uh, this action should be. So that that definitely colored it. But I think, uh, in a larger sense, what I would like to communicate as an educator to to Rome. In particular, because I think we're we're going through our various we're going through the diocese, and then eventually the goal of Pope Francis is to be able to um, hear from Catholics all over the world, and certainly social justice would be an issue, um, and how we are forming our children, our students, in terms of social justice, how we are forming them to become citizens and leaders and um, bring this to the world, continue to bring this charism to the world. So I think that would be my primary desire as an educator. Hmm. About the School of the Madeline. I can answer this as someone who's seen it as a a student, um, a parent, and, you know, as an educator and administrator, I, uh, I like that the school presents itself to, to parents and students and families as it truly is. You know, I can kind of see it from all angles and it's the, the spirit and heart are pure. Um, especially seeing my own two boys grow up in the school, it gave me such great confidence that they were in an environment with educators who knew them and cared for them that were wanted them to grow and to be happy and fulfilled, but also to provide structure and guidance. I was thinking about this the other day, you know, uh, sometimes as parents, we, we, our first instinct is, Oh, we want our kids to be happy, but uh, school isn't Disneyland or an arcade. It's intended to help them. We, we want to them to grow, uh, to be their best selves. And that means being challenged and, and being redirected at times. And it, it is with great confidence that you can leave your kids in an environment that there is a lot of trust. You know, it feels like an extended family and you know that the teachers are watching out for the students the same way that you would watch out for your own kids and that their peers 
care for them and look out for them and um, are growing together. So I really appreciate that 360 degree sense of community and shared goals and values that, that um, sometimes, you know, really is a strength of, of Catholic education. And when, when I thought about this question, Chris, I thought of the answer, you, you, Chris, you, Joseph, Mr. Stokes is right behind me in the office, my partner, um, and all, every single one of the children. It, it boils down to relationship and the grace of each individual relationship with a student, with a parent that you're advocating for, with a colleague. So much is caught up in the day-to-day relationships, and that's what has kept me deeply rooted at the Madeline. Hmm. And what are some of the biggest challenges we face? I think one, you know, not necessarily challenge, but difference in Catholic schools is uh, a little bit what we talked about earlier, where some of the things that happened automatically, for instance, when you had a traditional Catholic school model that all, you know, all the students were parishioners, there was a very tight loop and um, there was a lot of inherent connection. So that is a, a, a component of the schools that we still lean on, but it takes a little bit more conscious planning and strategizing. So we need to invest in those com- components to, to build community and, and connections between the parents. And then once we have those planted, you know, they continue to, to bloom and grow. But it is an extra layer of preparation and uh, structural work that Catholic schools manage now. I feel that we're, I, I hope I feel rightly that we're about to go through a portal and come into calmer waters in terms of COVID. We've been very blessed to have a, a team of people that have gotten us through these last two years and helped us um, pivot in every kind of situation at school and have helped us keep, um, above all, keep our children and our families safe. So I think um, we, we do continue to have big challenges, but we also know because of the last two years, we know that we can rise to the challenges. And I think that knowledge, we're beginning to see that knowledge and a bit of pride in our students. Well, we've come, we have come through these difficult two years and we can handle this and we can be ready. We can rise to the challenges that are ahead of us in every facet of education and also in every facet of life in general. Thank you. Um, Do you think a Catholic school should evangelize in all of its activities? Is there a Catholic approach that you would like to take in thinking about literature and the humanities, a story that permeates history and social studies, even a way to approach math or science that increases wonder and gratitude in the face of God's creation? I'm going to say yes, but not evangelizing in terms of direct appeal for conversion. But I would say there, you know, there's the Catholic instruction in terms of, you know, content and learning about the Catholic church and lives of the saints and preparation for the sacraments. But there's also the culture and spirit of the school. So we can best 
as I mentioned before, model by doing. So I think a teacher that is caring and attentive to their students, that um, addresses uh, or redirects students in a loving way so that they, they learn and grow, that manages you know, a conflict on the playground or in a literature unit, we have the ability at a Catholic school to address the moral underpinnings of a situation or a historical event. So I think that the, the spirit of Catholic education and a, and a Catholic understanding of the world can infuse uh, all activities and experiences in a school. My definition of evangelization is literally living who we are and modeling that for others in in a variety of ways and always being able, no matter the subject area, no matter the situation we find ourselves in, always being attentive and willing to find those connections. And Chris, you were always so good, and Joseph too, at finding those deliberate connections between what we were learning and extending that out into all of our learning. Um, and, and your kids do a really good job of that too. It's such a pleasure to have them on Sundays. Yeah. Wonderful. In your experience as a, as a teacher and a Catholic, have, have you ever, uh, have you experienced uh, moments of, of grace or, or wonder where there's um, um, the, the miraculous and not necessarily in the physically impossible miraculous, but in the kind of miraculous where you feel that the spirit infuses our, our lives and the saints uh, and angels are present or any, anything like that that you'd like to share. One of the blessings that we have had since COVID is that we have used our Dominican garden on the school grounds as a place for mass And that has included a Sunday Mass or a weekend Mass every week, and also a number of celebrations of life, funeral Masses, over the past couple of years. And one thing I've noticed in particular at those Masses that have been celebrations of life for past dear ones, we always have an appearance by butterflies in the garden. And that doesn't happen every day. We, we do not see, we, we would wish that we would have our butterflies every day and we plant special plants to attract them. But what inevitably happens when we're celebrating the life of a parent, uh, a former parent, a grandparent in that garden space, we have the appearance of butterflies. And those butterflies literally come in and hover over the family members. So I strongly believe in our angels and our messengers of grace that come in those moments when we most need them. That's beautiful. I feel we've had countless moments of grace uh, over the last two years as we uh, managed all of the twists and turns of the pandemic. And also on a daily basis as an administrator, uh, people worry about a lot of things. Students worry about how they're going to do on their tests or if they're, how they're going to go along with their friends. Teachers worry how students will grow or if they're going to, you know, uh, get on the right path. And parents, of course, worry uh, all the time as well. But uh, it was pointed out to me recently, and I, I don't know if I'd ever considered it directly, that, you know, if you read through the Gospels, there are are places where Jesus gives uh, people lessons about what is and what isn't right to do. But he spends a lot of time telling people to not worry. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be okay. And, you know, it seems sometimes the Gospels read just as one big 
you know, balm for anxiety. And I feel that grace often when it seems like there are a lot of problems. It's encouraging to remember that, you know, as Jesus said, it's going to be okay. Most of the time, most things are okay. And despite all of the unknowns and tumult of the COVID pandemic or of just a day, you know, a normal week in the school with a lot of people, most things turn out okay. And if we are, are calm and have faith and look for the best, that's often what we find. Yeah. That's great advice. I, uh, I, I, I hear Pope Francis a lot saying, um, or quoting, um, Juan Diego, the, the Indian who saw the, the Virgen de Guadalupe that she, you know, she's, she chides him so gently. Am I not here? Who am you? Who am your mother? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think the Beatles said something similar. <laughs> let it be so so thank you both for for joining me today uh on almost good catholics and talking about this wonderful school and may i ask you joseph if you would say a blessing for our listeners and their families and for other other matters on your heart yes i hope that this fruitful conversation is carried forth and encourages additional thought and reflection and hope And to paraphrase Jesus, everything's going to be okay. You know, let it be. Uh, Do what we can to help others near and far. And always keep a heart full of faith. Amen. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. Chris Ardenius and Joseph Nagel and Heather Skinner recorded this conversation on February 4th, 2022, the Feast of St. Casimir of Poland, who is the patron saint of youth and of Poland and Lithuania. Our music comes from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster. See their music at gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, comes from a stained glass window from the Monastery of Santo Domingo de Silos, near Burgos, Spain, and is taken with the kind permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz, and I invite you to email me at almostgoodcatholics.com with any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes. I read and respond to every single email. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. This is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing.